Hello, and welcome to Alive Edges Blethering, a podcast where two 30-somethings discuss the music we found in love growing up. My name is Chris Lavender, and with me is my fellow host, Keith McLeod. Today on Alive Edges Blethering, I'd like to talk about The Impossibility of Reason by Chimera. Christopher, how are you this evening? I'm very well. How are you? Um, coming out of a of a relatively notable hangover, so apologies to the listeners, but I'm probably operating at about fifty percent tonight. Wow. So <laughs> I've got a little green tea with me, and we're here to talk about Chimera. So bring it on. So yeah, thanks very much, everyone, for coming back. Uh, if, if this is your first time. Thank you for joining us. If you've come back again, uh, it's nice to have you listening once more. If anyone wants to check us out on our socials, please check us out at, at AOGB Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Ready for your comments. If you agree with us, disagree with us on any of the points we talk about, please do let us know and uh, we will probably respond eventually. Who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe if you've got the time, jump into whatever app you're listening to and give us a little five star rating. Apparently, that helps. I've uh, I've done it on Spotify. I've <laughs> gave us a five stars. You might disagree, but uh, yeah, please, please, uh, please, do and uh, might let other people find us. Thank you, everyone. Yeah. So yeah, this week I I don't know. I just had to rip the bandage off on this one. We've uh, we've had a good run. Of, of albums recently you and I have, have, have agreed on a lot of things recently uh, we might even agree on this but this is um, I didn't have a good time with this one love. let's go there and I don't blame you I still think 18 year old me was was on the right path at this point in, in, <laughs> in, uh, in, in 2003 well, it was 2003 when it was released. I probably would have heard it in 2004. I think I was on the in the right direction, but yeah, the nostalgia is worn off on this one for sure. Has it not aged well? I, I, yeah, I suppose that's probably one way of putting it. I think that the, the nastiest thing I could possibly say about the album is that it just offers nothing to the genre that wasn't already there yeah i'd agree there um however in saying that i do think there was some really fun groovy riffs within it and i think they they showed some excellent promise and on reading up a little bit about the album uh, and the band uh, as well, sort of realising that originally they were a new metal band and their first release, Pass Out of Existence, featured all the new metal staples, but it, apparently it took them so long to get signed that by the time they did get signed, new metal was no longer a thing. It was a flash in the pan genre, as we've discussed. Indeed, indeed. So by Although the time... having a bit of a resurgence. Today... Yeah, today is ah uh, today. There's a there's a there's a definitely a resurgence on the on the new metal front, but I think they they had this sort of difficult task of balancing what they were, which would have been in the nineties. Same, I think I think they say they originally formed 
around the mid 90s is when they kind of knew each other because they were we can all recognize this from from playing in bands they they were friends with other bands and it was sort of an amalgamation of three bands that made chimera something so they had all the ingredients there and they wanted and they they wrote a new metal record but it took them so long to get signed that by the time they ended up releasing it new metal was sort of done and uh for this album this was the first one that they took on a rhythm guitarist and they also dropped samples so they had new metal scratches and things and oh they were gone and they were gone so, as well to what before before we get too too much into it i remember chimera i acknowledge that they were a band they were definitely around you saw them on the 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 uh the kerangs and the and the, the mtv2s and stuff like that but i was never a fan of this band uh they completely we just we were on different paths you know you were saying earlier like you started this you started on on a path with this or or, or whatever like i just nothing of these guys made me want to listen to them back in the day and back in 2002 2003 so to what extent were you a chimera fan was it just this album or you know did you give them three four albums like how how much were you actually into this band i definitely give them two albums i wouldn't even say this one was my favorite one the follow-up to this album 2005's eponymous chimera is a step above and yeah. I remember enjoying playing along to it a lot on guitar. It was a very fun album to, to play and the, the riffs were really good and solid. And sort of in, in looking at the band a little bit and when you and it's it's pretty pretty clear who their influences were. I was listening to a lot of their influences probably around the that two thousand one sort of era listening to like old Pantera albums, listening to Slayer and, <laughs> you know, having those sounds. And then you listen to Impossibility Reason, which is almost like a love letter to those bands or those albums and sounds because it's just full of... You listen to like... We mentioned it before we start recording. Pictures in the Gold Room. That's got a straight-up Slayer guitar line through it. Yeah, it goes, it goes full seasons in the abyss at one point, doesn't it? Totally. Um, but also the solo on that same song is is exceptionally um, Dimebag Daryl-esque. Very, very high treble, lots of gain, pinch harmonics. All the things that, that would really make me sort of stand out in that groove metal sort of thing that was being done in the mid-90s. So, yeah, maybe Chimera did have something about them which which I, I sort of latched onto because I was a fan of, of those bands previously. It sort of further justifies where I didn't get onto this band because I don't like Slayer and I don't really give a crap about Pantera. Don't even really like Pantera. I don't know. I've I might have just committed metal suicide there, but <laughs> I I don't. I never liked Slayer. I thought they were absolute hypocrites, and yeah, Pantera. Just, I just never did anything for me. Like, you know, we, we've talked about this. I started on Linkin Park. I was never going to be a Pantera fan. Like, it's just that's just how it was for me. So th- th- those bands never appealed to me. So you're right. I can totally hear those influences in the impossibility of reason here. And yeah, th- this, this was a total struggle for me to get through these songs. The first ever 
thing, not even whatever the first ever thing that I bought off eBay uh-huh. was Pantera's vulgar display of power. Vulgar display of power, cowboys from hell, blah fucking blah. <laughs> Honestly, Pantera do not impress me, and they never have. I I like the guitar work, and I suppose listening to the impossibility of reason, I can see a lot of a lot of the influences in there. But I I do think there's one band that I've I've not mentioned yet that I think that the the final track, Implements of Destruction, could if you'd put this on in two thousand and three and said this is the new Machine Head song, I'd have gone, cool. It's an instrumental yeah. track. Yeah. It's a cool Machine Head song. It's a fucking great Machine Head song. <laughs> but it's, it's not a Machine Head song. because it's, it's it's the best Machine Head song I've heard in a long time. <laughs> pretty much, man. Like, seriously, they, they, I don't know how they got away with it. Like That is just straight up that. And Implements of Destruction for me is another missed opportunity where... I was just waiting for that to go somewhere. It sounded better. There was a lot more guitar work on it. There was sorry. There was a lot more um, harmonies, and, and and the two guitarists were were, were playing with each, were, were playing across each other. I was about to say playing with each other a lot. We're playing across each other a lot more, and it sounded a lot more of a diverse sort of effort than what I'd previously heard on the on on the other eleven songs. But it, I just don't really think it went anywhere. Mm. And that's to me that to me that's a shame. I think the the I, I can sort of so they they accompanied this album with a uh, documentary called uh, the Dehumanizing Process, mm-hmm. which was just a making of this album released about a year later um, through again through Roadrunner, uh, who we've we've brought up m- multiple times on this podcast. And they talk about where they're from, and they're from uh, from the city of, of Cleveland mm-hmm. in in Ohio, which doesn't really have a, a good name for itself as a city. And I'm aware of Cleveland, Ohio. I don't know that I'm. It's a very industrial city. Okay. And I could sort of feel when 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 watching the documentary. Sort of that similar, similar to when we talked about POD. It's like you either join a band or you just get into drugs. It's right. just fuck all. It's you, you know, you, you. It's a very industrial town, and I, and I, I remember coming from a shithole town. I think I've, I've referred to it as a shithole several times. It wasn't there wasn't anything to do. There was nothing to do. So you either vandalized the place, you know, got wasted. Yeah, or got in a band, got into music, got into doing something a bit different, and I could sort of think I see that in the in the guys there when they've they've obviously struggled to to find something for their vices to to keep them busy and keep them occupied, and you know what? In fairness to them, they didn't just start a band and play a few shows or get famous in the city of Cleveland. They actually they got worldwide, and yeah. You know, no small feat. Getting signed to Roadrunner Records in two thousand and three is an absolute godsend to them. Agreed. No, I, I mean, we usually put this disclaimer on if if we have a less than favourable opinion. Obviously, these guys did far better than we ever did. Yeah. Exactly. Bob Egg sort of joked on it last week about being a bit of a failed musician. We are failed musicians in a sense. 
you know, we didn't get, if, if you compare to the, the heights of Chimera, these guys got their shit together, they wrote some albums, they got on some labels and they did some tours and, and they made a career out of it for nearly 15 years, if, if not longer. So congratulations to Chimera. Like this is, you guys like made it. We, we didn't make it. We were just two guys on a podcast 15 years later talking, talking shit about you, or at least I'm about to. But yeah, like the, it's, it's so clear to me why I just never got into this band because this, this album for me, like we've, we've talked about Slayer, we've talked about Pantera. Like I think I messaged you during the week, like this is just an AI trying to make Slayer for <laughs> yeah. me, like yeah. these guys. And I, 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 I'm probably just going to, because I'm tired, I'm probably just going to rip them a new one and no one's going to listen and no one's going to care. But like it's just a very, there's so many missed opportunities here. I don't know why there's two guitarists. You know, you made the point at the start of the, earlier about them having like a new a new rhythm guitarist come in on this album and stuff like that. Why is there two guitarists? They play the exact almost the exact same thing throughout the entire album on every song. There are harmonies, and they do they they, they do sort of cross each other at points, and but it's so sparingly used that I was just like, what? Why? why? why is this here why is there two guitarists here you know when they have more like when they go into like a beatdown or they go into a breakdown and like everyone sort of comes into this the 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 section and it's syncopated it it has no impact because you've heard everyone play the exact same thing up until that point Mm. so it's just another part of the song for me where i was like that i feel this should have more weight but it doesn't because tonally nothing changed I would I would say that the next album I wouldn't say fixes those issues, but I yeah, certainly... it's potentially a style like they're, they're that's how they've chosen to write their music and they're and they're doing that and mm-hmm. they had more success than I ever did. Great, but I'm just that's that's why I never got into them because mm-hmm. this is dull, <laughs> really dull. It's very repetitive. Um, I think about halfway through the album, once I've passed. Maybe pure hatred. I think there's maybe crawl is the only track that really stands out to me. I feel like the first half of the album is 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 okay. You know, songs like the impossibility reason, pictures of gold, the most famous song power trip, probably my favorite song down again, all really solid songs. But the rest of the album feels undercooked. That's another thing. I didn't recognize a single song off this album. So whatever their singles were, I never knew them enough to actually recognize them. I think Power Trip was a single. They definitely, I don't think it was a single, but they definitely had a video for it. Right, well that's kind of what I'm referring to. Yeah, I, they had a video for Down Again. That was, I'm sure I saw that on on the MTV2s or, or Kerrang's, Scuzzers, whatever, back, yeah. back in 2003. But again, it was on the same DVD that I had Every Time I Die on. Right. Which we talked about last week. So I, it came with music videos. And it was again, it was a Roadrunner uh, sort of promo DVD. I was trying to remember where I got it from. And I, I, my initial thought was it came free with a copy of Metal Hammer. But I've got a suspicion that I got it for spending more than X amount of money on something in Virgin Megastore. Do you remember those sort of promos that you would get? So you'd get to the till, you'd hand over your two CDs that you were paying like 20 bucks for, and then they would say, 
oh, if you spend another five pounds, you get this DVD for free. Or All right, yeah. you've spent more than twenty pounds. Do you want to buy this DVD for a fiver? It's normally twenty, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure it was one of those deals that I got it, and it was either it was either Virgin Megastore, which is now an Urban Outfitters on on Edinburgh Princess Street, or HMV, which is now a Sports Direct. Ugh. Is it not still HMV? Oh God, no, no. Oh, there is R. one. R. There is one HMV in all of Edinburgh. And it's in Ocean Terminal. <laughs> Ocean Terminal. Exactly. It's fucking brutal. No one's going there. Uh, yeah, HMV is dead in Edinburgh. Be back HMV's dead. Mm. Basically. Pretty much. But yeah, the I think I think that the the band they were apt at what they were doing. I think they were talented enough to make their own music and sort of have their own sound to a degree but at the same time I don't think they brought anything new to the genre Yeah. and going back 20 years later yeah, meh nah there was, there was yeah, this could be a very short episode because there was <laughs> nothing nothing here where I was I mean that's, that's unfair actually, credit where credit's due yeah, a couple of riffs Couple like you're saying, a couple of grooves in there that 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 were interesting. It was just everything else I wasn't particularly a big fan of. I'm sorry, I can't get behind Mark Hunter's vocals. He's he's got a very r- raspy, almost strained sort of scream. Strains the word definitely. Strained, and you're either gonna love or hate that, and it wasn't for me. The, the, that 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 vocal sort of sound, I just, uh, I didn't. There was nothing to enjoy about it, and it's it's sort of the same tone throughout. Again, like like the guitars tonally, they basically stay the same. Mm-hmm. There's couple, there's the odd solo here and there, sure, but you know, Mark's vocals are just a little bit like me just now, like a little bit sore and <laughs> a little bit tired, and I'm like, oh, I just I just kind of can't get behind that. But there's another thing about Chimera, and you might correct me if I'm wrong here because you, you did sort of refer to the DVD and mental health and stuff like that. I don't know if that was actually before we started recording or anything. Oh, yeah. But I, if I think back to Chimera, they were like the quintessential like meathead metal band. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They were like, I want to put them in the same sort of bracket as like Hatebreed yeah. and, and other sort of bands that are just like, we are heavy angry music because we've got an angry message and really they're just butthurt white dudes that they didn't get a better opportunity at life i might be wrong but that's definitely how i sort of remember chimera like we're we're angry and we're hard like don't fuck with us because we're angry and we've got this style of music but it was just like it was so laughable you know, almost like we've sort of talked about Code Orange before, about how like it's a bit, it's all a bit of an act, a bit of a front. Yeah, yeah, I, I can, I can see where you're coming from with that. They, I, I agree to to an extent about the the, the sort of meathead metal. They're, they're appealing to a, a less. I don't want to say it. Someone, they're they're appealing to those who just want heavy. I'm gonna I'm gonna say something, and I do not mean to associate 
You're gonna fuck this up. This. You're gonna fuck it up. Don't do it. You... I would not, do not mean to associate the band with this, but I would not be surprised if I walked into a white supremacist gym and Chimera were playing. Wow. Okay. You, you went there. <laughs> do you know what I mean? That's like not it's their just fault. Like, it's not the band's fault. Like, exactly. Exactly. They're not. They're not writing white supremacist music. They're just. They're. They're just getting picked up by like bald meatheads that think this is some sort of expression of strength or whatever do you, do you know what i mean like it's 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 i'm not i'm not saying chimera or a white supremacist band but like that's that's where i'm going to take this that's and that's why i was just like oh, fuck this like i'm not i don't i, I i'm not I, these guys do not appeal to me in the slightest i mean right we've 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 talked about the band we've talked about the type of person that may listen to it i've briefly mentioned there that they were initially a new metal band yeah other than the timing, which is obviously everything when it comes to these things, their previous album, Pass Out of Existence, had all the ingredients to be something that we could be talking about like we were talking about Corn a few months ago, like we've wow. talked about Linkin Park, because on this record, it was produced by the same man who produced... Um, the Avenged Sevenfold album. Uh, You're about to see Unholy Confessions, but Awaking wake, the wake, Fallen. Waking, waking, waking the Fallen. Waking the Fallen. Waking the Fallen. We'll f- never get that right. <laughs> so it was produced by Mudrock. It had Steph Carpenter from Deftones on it. Wow. And it had all, you know, and Roadrunner Records paying for it. You, you had everything that was ready... To be there, but literally just its timing. It came out on second of October two thousand and one, which we've as we've we've kind of alluded to, new metal was done and dusted by then. So having to sort of change gears and sort of strip away, which if you really when you think about it, if you strip away sort of basic elements of new metal, you do get that bouncy, groovy metal that I think that the impossibility reason is. And I think it would be fair to say the impossibility of reason, going back twenty years now, is just a boring new metal album. Fair. It's it's interesting because you've you, you've picked this album to talk to, but you keep on referring to both albums either side of it as sort of better works. I appreciate that this is the point of the podcast. No, no, I'm not saying that Pass Out of Existence a better work. I'm just saying it's got more. Or oh, more like okay. More about it. There's something. You know, it's it's a shame that it never got what it should, what it could have done, if it was if it was honestly released one year earlier. I think it could have been one of those albums, or they could be one of those bands that people yeah. talk about in in great reverence. But literally, it missed it missed the boat by such a margin, such a such a fine margin, that it just became dated, and it sounds even more dated if you go back to it. The reason I bring up the, the follow-up album, the self-titled, is because I just think they they fixed everything about the impossibility of reason. Right. So they do, basically the, the two guitarists aren't playing the same thing the whole way through. Well, they've probably had a lot more time writing for it. And it also got involved on... It was also released around the same time as that Roadrunner All-Star Sessions. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at Roadrunner United just now, yeah. So Mark was the vocalist on the second track, uh, The Enemy, with, and that was written by Dino Cazares and Roy Mayorga? Roy Mayorga. Oh, he was the drummer from Stone Sour, wasn't he? Yeah. Yes. 
so it was a yeah the, the band as a whole they appealed to me because of what i'd listened to historically i know we've not really talked about it because i don't really remember listening to albums for those bands like pantera like slayer um except for vulgar display of power which was one that i'd obtained through ebay but again it was i i was a guitar player i enjoyed playing along to their riffs i thought they were quite fun to play along to um but i don't particularly think they offered anything new to the genre yeah it's just it's just one of those bands that they they ended up breaking up in 2014 i never really got past i think i listened to resurrection which was the one that came after the self-titled and remember being just completely it was 2007 by that point my tastes had well moved on by that point Mm -hmm. um i was listening to a lot more metalcore hardcore stuff so listening to as you described it meathead metal was not really the thing that i was into so much at that stage yeah but they i did listen to them in i think it was a 2011 release there was there was one song i remember coming out uh, i think it was called year of the snake yeah that was on the album the age of hell and again the band had sort of moved its sound into sounding more like a hardcore band yeah, you sort of said that during the week that they they came out of this this sort of this metal phase and actually became I, I I think the words you said were a successful hardcore band, which was something I never detected or picked up or on or was aware of. No, I mean, successful is not the word. Successful is definitely not the word. The this CD had to be given away for free in the UK. Like that's that's another thing as well, I suppose, because I'll just continue my my bombardment. You never turned up to a party, or you never turned up to like a gig or or a night out. Even you know you're in the studios in Edinburgh or whatever, or, or Cat House in Glasgow. You never got like, oh man, Chimera, yeah, I'm gonna go dance to Chimera. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, or you know, you're at a party and no one ever requested Chimera on the playlist, or it, you know, you never was just like you. You never just sitting there and be like, oh yeah, down again, fucking great tune it was just they were such a with all due respect just a background band that were were there yep fair. they put out some music but personally not really anyone i ever thought oh that's what's that what's what's that tweaking my little eardrums i'll go for that yeah that sounds pretty nah 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 just to pick up on something you mentioned there about the... I don't know if we, we actually spoke about it before you we were recording. They So they did make the uh, the DVD dehumanising process in 2004. But after they broke up in 2014, in 2017, uh, the singer Mark Hunter was part of a documentary called Down Again, mm-hmm. which explores sort of the mental health issues that he faced and how writing for Chimera was his way of sort of processing things and and he yeah. watch and he watches it back and he says he I think I, he, he says he watched back on the dehumanizing process and and realized how you know not right he was yeah and and how it's a you know it's a growth thing when you when you're a young kid you just want to sort of push boundaries and things and he was doing that in the in the wrong ways and Whilst, yeah, he had a band 
and to, to sort of have an outlet on, you know, he admits that it maybe wasn't um, the perfect solution for him and he's had to do like cognitive cognitive behavioural therapy. Is that right? Is that yeah. Right? That's a thing, isn't it? I'm not making that up. I'll go with it. But yeah, after the breakup of the band, I think he tried to keep them going just on his own, just getting guest musicians in. and Or just, just to keep the name alive. Yeah. It, it sounded to me like when I've read, you know, especially after talking about Every Time I Die, which was, a, you know, an explosion of sorts, this just felt, felt like a pitter away. So the last album they made was mostly just him on his own. The, the prior one, The Age of Hell, seems to have been the last album that was written as a band. Yeah, and then the the follow up Crown of Phantoms, it's, you can tell it's it's it, it was done through Indiegogo crowdfunding. It, it was never yeah. really never really had the the full backing of the band, and he got a load of different guys in for it. And I read somewhere that there was sort of a comparison to, you know, when, when his family and things were trying to like tell him that things are okay, they sort of would bring up examples of bands where it has worked, where. Just one person's kept it alive. Yeah. But now it's just, yeah, they, they put it away and they faded out. And that's probably probably down to the fact, like you say, they just didn't bring anything new to it. Like you say, they were just background, uh, a background word, a background sound. I'm probably being fairly apathetic to the band. I, I genuinely have not had any interaction with these guys, their music. Or I don't even think I've ever seen them on a support tour or, or, or anything. They just, I, I knew they were a thing and, and that never really went anywhere for me. I'm talking about how, you know, you would walk into a white supremacist gym and these guys would be in the background. <laughs> like, in the sense that they're totally misappropriated. Like, they're, they're not putting out white supremacist music, but those guys, because they're angry and confused are taking their music and putting like a, a shit meaning on it. So I don't know, I suppose I'm wanting to come back around to the idea of like they look retrospectively back at their their making of DVD and we're like, oh yeah, we weren't probably in a good place doing that or or we were probably in a bit of a weird place trying to do that. So it's it, it's maybe even a shame because there was clearly some talented musicians here putting themselves out there and it's it's difficult, you know, like go back to the it, as we're talking, it sort of reminds me a lot about Race Cars, Race Car Backwards. And what was the name of that band? Ruben. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, God, how can I forget Ruben? Ruben and Race Cars, Race Car Backwards. And, you know, the the line, Sardi wants 10 grand. Like, you know, those guys were so burnt and jaded by the industry process that, like, I can, you know, imagine being in the band and... Your one of your albums has to be given away for free for people to hear it. You know, one minute you're on... It got really well reviewed as well, by yeah. the way. It's, it's like nine out of tens from yeah. multiple outlets. Yeah. But they just didn't have the fan. The fan base had just gone. The fan base had vanished. And and the label support from all the... Because I think we we quite commonly think of a label as they give you money to make a record. But they're also going to be doing a lot of the publishing and the, giving it to places to actually sell it and making those stands. The first time I ever saw Linkin Park, it was on a metal stand in the middle of HMV. You couldn't miss it. You couldn't get to the till without walking yeah. past it. A big stand. You have to pay for that. We've got this fucking album for sale. Buy it. That's Warner Brothers money. You, you know, buy it. 
Yeah, totally. It, it, that never really... And if, if if a label just wants rid of you, and we saw it pulled on that in the Jimmy Eat World episode, just to pull it back. If a label wants rid of you, they'll just fucking drop you. And they won't even drop you ceremoniously. They'll just be like, yeah, we'll release it. And they'll just... But now you're done. Now you're done. We'll just we'll shelve yeah. it. We'll put it aside. We'll make, we'll say you've made your release. You've had your five album, your two or three album contract. You know, this is the last one. We're just going to push this one yeah. out and we're not going to do any work on it. We're not going to pay any money into it. We are writing. It's essentially like writing off the debts. Just yeah, like, yeah, essentially. Done. And interestingly, you should bring up about jadedness because I found a really interesting article about Mark Hunter's tweet-a-thon in 2011 where he basically just opened up his DMs, opened up his... He was replying to every fan doing like basically an AMA on Twitter mm-hmm. about the record business and he didn't hold back. So he's like, you know, he's tearing... I assume from that he, they did have a bad experience. It sounds like it. So... He got asked a question about labels. His response, a record label is a bit like a government handout. It's great and it helps, but a lot of your personal freedoms are revoked. The pros of a label, good staff that are genuine music fans, some of them. The ability to get your music in stores, bankroll, promotion. But then, obviously, he doesn't, they've not mentioned what the negatives are, but we can pretty much take from the negatives, like, you do not have the freedom. You do not get the chance to be like, let's take two years off. Let's take a year off and write something. Let's go to this country. Let's go do this and get the, let's get a, a groundswell of, of fans involved. The label just wants money. They don't care. They, you know. Yeah, we've, we've talked about this before. At the end of the day, a band is a business. When you go professional, when you go signed, when you go record labels and stuff like that, a band is a business. Your album, your music is the product and you need to get a, an ROI. R-I-O? Return on investment, you're right. ROI. You need yeah. a return on investment. And if you're not getting that, like if a if, if an album label if, if a record label is putting a hundred grand into your album, you know, recording time, production, mastering, promotion, tours, if they're setting up like all these like support bands or whatever, you know, if they're putting a hundred grand into that album and you only make fifty grand worth of sales well, they've lost 50 grand and businesses don't work like that. So that is the absolute brutal truth of it. And 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 that's a shame that Camera kind of got burnt out the other side of it because that, that that's gonna be you're 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 still a group of people. You know, you're going from you're going from highs of of Roadrunner labels and featuring on Roadrunner United and stuff like that to actually you guys aren't doing so well so you know what we're going to invest less in you and then you start like I don't know you're, you're in your day job and your boss turns around and be like oh yeah you're a bit shit and your job's at, at risk I'm just going to pay you less but yeah know, what are you going to do <laughs> you're a bit shit so you're not really working out as we planned we're going to give you less money for your next album and then the album after that we're going to give you in fact you know what we're not even going to give you money for the next album you can go to our, our smaller label and just get sort of shat out the other side of it must be must be rough mm-hmm. yeah and he talks about and again another one just the financial realities of touring they were a mid I would say they were a mid-sized band a world touring mid-sized band these are a band that would play the garage they would play ABC quite comfortably I'm pretty do, sure they do you think they headlined? 
Yeah, they, they were headlining these tours. I think they were. I think they were headlining. I'm sure they toured with Caliban. Did I mention that one last week? I think so because that's how we got onto them. Yeah, that's how it came up. They they were the headline for Caliban the first time Caliban came round. In like what 2004 or something was that the venue? That was when you were talking about the venue show. Yes. So the venue's a small venue, I guess. But they were saying they were playing mid-size. They were a mid-sized band, and just the breakdown of costs that he does. He, he's he's absolutely honest with it. He's like, ten percent goes to the booking agent, which is a respectful amount given the amount of hours that they put in to put a show together. You know, put a, a tour together. You know that that shit doesn't come for free, and he's and he you know openly admits that. But he says here the first tour Chimera did, we were paid fifty dollars a show. The second tour Chimera did, we were per paid, band. He just says fifty dollars a show. He doesn't. He says Chimera were paid fifty dollars a show. Ugh. I remember. Yeah, I've been there. Ugh. The second tour we did, we were paid fifty dollars a show. We went into fifteen k debt. I took out a loan from a friend to help finance the tours. The first time we went to Europe, we went in debt by over twenty five grand. Jesus. So then you almost have to like. It's almost like a gambling addiction or like a drug addiction where like ah oh crap i need to i need to actually keep doing this to try and to try and profit from it to try and get myself out of the hole and then like yeah that if you're the sort of mid-tier bands like you are you know you're potentially struggling and 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 it's not it's not the rock and roll lifestyle that you think it is it's 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 the back of a crap tiny bus for 50 dollars a show that's that's really depressing i would encourage anyone who's still listening uh to watch the documentary why you do this and it follows the band car bomb i'm not familiar with this and a couple of uh a couple of tours they do across america and sort of the the silver lining on it if you want to put it that way is them getting to open for gajira in like 2000 and Seven two thousand eight. Okay. So it's before Gajira really got big. So they were, they were basically they were basically opening for a band that was probably the size of Chimera, you know, on a, on a on a US tour. Uh, it's on YouTube. It's just called. I'm sure it's why you do this or why we do this. Why you do this? An hour long. Yeah, Gajira two thousand eleven. Michael Daffiner. I would absolutely encourage any aspiring musician anyone who's in a band to watch that documentary it will bring home some truths i hope because it's it's not it's not the rock and roll lifestyle it is getting paid 50 dollars a day to rent a van I, mean, I'll, I'll, I can give you numbers from when when we were with war charge we were paying 70 we paid for a van we had we hired a van with a driver that was the, that was our big biggest cost. It was eighty eighty pounds a day, and we were getting yeah. to shows, and we were getting paid fifty euro. And you've got to get petrol in. So that. you're at a loss. You're, you're at, at a loss. loss you're at a loss at every single show. So you and and you have to. And that's not including the fuel that you've had to pay to get there. That's not paying for the food that you need to eat in between those. Yeah. Or accommodation if you're if you if you're lucky enough to get put up in a hotel or or like you know maybe someone just puts you in, in in their house for the night. So the best the best promoters paid you, put you up in a hotel, fed you. The worst 
did none, obviously. Give give you did, none of did none of that. Give did, none give you that. none of that. Getting getting to the show, getting yourself in, setting up, all the work around that. Honestly, touring is a it's fucking hard work. And then you get yeah. to a venue that you've literally you've spent a hundred hundred pounds just to be in that space, and that's hundred pounds from yesterday. That's not just a hundred pounds in the in the two weeks it took to get there. That's a hundred pounds from yesterday. Yeah. And you've got five people there. Yeah. It's like fuck, man. Fairly sold the shot. I mean, even watch the uh, the almost world tour, the Architects DVD, the hundred days tour whatever that's called. Remember we watched it in my flat and yeah. like architects are doing like, you know, selling out ABC in Glasgow and then they're in Thailand playing to like 50 kids. Like, and it, it comes down to exposure and, and, and what you're out there doing and stuff like that. Obviously architects will have had a bit more support in doing that and they stretch themselves out to do that almost world tour. But it just, you know, there are still bands out there that are just doing those 15, 15 people shows like every night and, and that, that, that must be brutal. It's tough thinking about the psychology of it because it is a gamble. You are throwing money at it, putting yourself in debt to try and cover it. Um, if you break even, you've done well. You've not got rent. You've not got enough money to pay your rent or your electricity when you get home, but you're not in any more debt than you were in when you left. That is a excellent experience. It almost it almost justifies how people from bands are dicks sometimes. You know how you can meet like just really arrogant people who are when you sort of oh, it doesn't justify it, but like you know they're obviously on that show or they're on that tour. They're obviously putting themselves out there to be like this is what I want to do. This is my music. This is how I think I can I can make a living for myself. And, you know, I'm doing all this and putting myself into 10 grand debt, blah, 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 blah. Like, you know, if I caught someone on a bad day because of that, I I would be a bit more understanding of, all right, man, you're under a bit of stress. I, I, I get it. That's, that's, um, I'll buy a CD. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is it. It's like when, when you are doing the shows, you know, what's, you're playing for, people only see 30 minutes of it. You turn up to yeah. a gig, you see thirty minutes of a of a show, you see that band just there. It's like you don't you have to connect the dots. How long did it take them to get there? And be realistic. Like how much do you think the the band who's on first and second is getting paid compared to the band that's on last? Yeah. You know, and and, and really take 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 a moment to think about that. I do and yet yeah, merch, I have to say buying merch at at the merch desk is the only way that they're even going to break through that. And once you break through that financial barrier, and I think that's when you start getting fans involved, when fans start organically growing around you and you start getting you know, big swells of people asking you to play different cities and play different shows you know, that's when you get a bit of confidence about yourself and you start sinking a bit more money and you have to then pay bigger amounts to make them pay off. But you keep doing it, you keep doing it and you keep doing it and as long as you're gaining more fans than you're losing, you're doing great. And yeah, yeah. sadly, I don't think that was the equation the that was for Chimera. I'm going to retract my 100 days 
comment about architects because they fucking crowdfunded it. <laughs> The, uh, the 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 funding of the film was achieved through crowdfunding on project on Indiegogo. I thought you knew that. Re- I thought you were one of the crowdfunders. Yeah, I was, but I forgot that. <laughs> That's how I got the DVD. I, I, it was that was my that was my that was my contribution. I basically bought the DVD before they did it, uh, where they had a target of thirty grand, but they overreached it by ten grand. So they actually funded their almost world tour for by forty grand. Wonderful. So you know whether those guys are paid playing to 15 people or not in Thailand or China they got paid so yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna retract that statement it's still an interesting you know if you're an architects fan it's still a very interesting uh, well made documentary but yeah not really on the same. if you're if you're fronting the cash with 40 grand you're, you're not really in the same boat of what we're trying no, to say I, w- I would say architects were by that point you did about what, Daybreaker here and now. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, they were, they were on, they were on the trajectory to be massive at that point. I already thought they were massive. Personally, I was, I was a big Architects fan from, from day dot. I've got a Nightmares T-shirt in my, in my drawer still. Yeah, it's between, it's between the Daybreaker album and Lost Forever, Lost Together. Yeah. And Lost Forever, Lost Together was was an absolute massive. No, Daybreaker was great, and then we're gonna talk about Architects. It's it's coming up. I'm but... looking forward to it because there's there's a band that I've we talked about, and every time I die, it's just dropping in dropping in and out of bands. Fucking hell, I can drop. I dropped out of Architects hard, hard, well, twice. Yeah, it's twice. <laughs> well, this is the this is the thing, right? And should I talk about it? All right, I'll talk about it. Like, I came into Architects a little bit later on, so and you know I I came in with uh, with with Hollow Crown, so like when I'm listening to Hollow Crown, everyone's like, listen to Nightmares, Nightmares is a million times better. Like, and I was like, oh, you're just nightmare ruined fanboys. Like, just calm down. Like, Hollow Crown's still a good album, and then I'm now at the stage where you know with the latest album, the last two albums really, I've just been like, oh. Okay, boys, what boys, what happened? What happened? Been, been there. It was obviously a very big thing that happened, but it obviously doesn't excuse the the, the transition between, say, ruin to hollow crown. Yeah, I, I look forward. I am genuinely looking forward to the the inev- inevitable architects episode uh, because that one's going to be that one's going to be fun going through that discography. No, it will be. But yeah, I've not got much else to say about Chimera. Um, I think they had shit luck. Yeah, they did. They did as well as they possibly could have, given the style of music they played. Yeah, but just a little bit too too late for the the new metal crowd, and a little bit too groovy and new metal for the hardcore crowd and just put them on the wrong the wrong path with the wrong sort of fan base and yeah they've they've now disbanded they've done a couple of reunion shows uh i don't think i'm going to go back and listen to them possibly a reason i might listen to down again i might listen to um some off the 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 second the next album that's self-titled but outside of that i've got nothing to go back to unfortunately <laughs> Savage. No, I mean, crikey, I've obviously not been very 
forthcoming or or kind towards Chimera. I'm regretting that a little bit now. Maybe maybe we've talked about it a bit more. Maybe the the band were always on a bit of the back foot. But yeah, there's brass tacks. There's very little in this album for me to actually enjoy, and I will never listen to this again. <laughs> to to be brutal, honest, I'll never listen to this again. And even this week, I, I, I maybe got through this album one and a half, two two times at most. And then I discovered, and then I found out CU Space Cowboy have got a new album. And then Roll Tomasi released a new album. That'll date this episode, but that doesn't matter. You know, I was like, there's infinitely better music for me to be listening to right now, personally. I agree. The, the, the music that I think that has come out in the last 12, 12 months far surpasses the music that I was listening to 20 years ago. I've got so much, so much hope for the, uh, the future of. British metal. I'll say British metal as well because you know when you when you listen to the likes of Rollo Tomasi, and I sent I sent you uh, a link to uh, another band that I will be seeing on Thursday, uh, which is uh, what are they called again? Static Dress. Brilliant. You, I, I absolutely cannot wait to see. Hopefully, see them play live if I can get there early enough. They're opening. Static dress. They are opening for Terror and Knock Loose on Thursday. So I'm excited for that. Yeah, no, and just on roll to Massey, they they released a new album this last week. But in preparation for that new album, I sort of went back over to the singles they'd released. Ended up on Spotify Radio, and like the song comes on, and I'm like, that's it. Uh, that's CU Space Cowboy and then I went to go check it out yeah they released a new album in November and I'm assuming I sort of missed it because of the whole um, every time I die thing and it's incredible the song I actually heard was track one uh, Life as a Soap Opera Plot (laughs) Life as a Soap Opera Plot 26 Years Running actually features Keith Buckley as well uh, I think you said it features the Not Loose vocalist too, or something. No, it's it's recorded. the The producer is the Not Loose guitarist, Isaac. Hill. Wow, uh, a good producer then, and it's just if you've not heard CU Space Cowboy, I think we've mentioned them before. Maybe it was a while ago, but that album is batshit amazing. The Romance of Affliction. Yeah, highly recommend it to anyone who wants. Wants a callback, wants a throwback to... Absolutely nothing like Chimera. If you are a diehard <laughs> Chimera fan, see you Space Cowboy, probably not your thing. But if you want like just nauseating, discordant riffs crushing your very being, <laughs> in and amongst some emo-as-fuck choruses... Yeah. Good. Oh, it's good stuff, man. It's good stuff. It's good. It's good. It's the most excited I've been all bloody episode talking about a different band. <laughs> oh man, that's a shame. Uh, but anyway, Sorry, Chimera. All uh, the best. Yeah, yeah it's a, it, was, it was fun while it lasted. Was it? Mm, for them, I'm sure. I'm sure they had some good memories from it. But anyway. It's, uh, next week, it's your choice, isn't it? It is finally me. Mm-hmm. 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 I, I know what you're going to say, so I'm not as... I prefer asking you. I prefer catching you off guard for these. It's much more interesting to see what your response was. No, I was on it. I knew. I knew what I had to be prepared for. So you know, midweek, I sent you a little video, and I was like, "This is the best song this gym has ever played." So I, I, I don't humble brag. I like to gym. 
you know what I mean? You're a gym bro. Off. Yeah, it doesn't really. Yeah, like I go to a white supremacist gym. I don't. <laughs> I do not go to a white supremacist gym. But like, you know, like, like uh, I'm just usually you've got headphones in, haven't you? And normally because it just plays crap gym music. But this time there was a bit of a a, a rockier, um, heavier new new metally sort of playlist going on, and stay. Uh, the kids aren't all right. Came on, and you were like, "We've totally missed Americana." So I'm going to take us back a few years, and let's talk about Americana, the fucking offspring. Fantastic. That's going to be an interesting wee delve, because that that album is so polarizing. Polarizing. Okay. It's. It's got two terrible songs on it. It's like a. It's like a prelude. It's got two awful songs on it. I've, and then I've it, not listened to it in a long time. I just remember the kids on Alright being absolutely incredible. It's one of my favourite punk rock songs of all time. I think I know every... I might know every word. Yeah, I I, I, I might know every word on it as well because it's... But it's also it got pretty good. the cringiest song that ever existed... Are we? Go- are you going to save that for next week? We're going to save it all for next week. Save it all for next week. I've I've not listened to this album in a long time, but it came out in 1998, and I got it for Christmas. So this album predates my interest in sort of heavier music. Yes, you know, circa 2000, 2001, Linkin Park, Papa Roach. This was technically my first ever album. I think. It's a long time ago. We are 30-somethings. And we're on the wrong side of 30-somethings. So. I'm on the wrong side of 30-something. That is very, we're, very we're, true. We're, we're tumbling towards uh, death. I'm, I'm not looking for... I, I actually had this thought in my head. It's like I'm not looking forward to having to update the bio on the podcast in a few years' time. To what to, oh, mate, I'm really... That, I, I'm glad that you think we're going to last that long. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Well, but yeah, no. Let's let's do it. Let's go back a few years and talk about the only Offspring album I ever listened to, Americana. Can't wait. Dun 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 dun. Give it to me, baby. Fuck, that was bad. I'm gonna have well, to cut that. Am I taking us home, or are you? Oh no, laugh, please, please take take us home. <laughs> oh, uh, thanks everyone for listening. You have been listening to Alive or Just Blathering. Do please check us out on the socials at AOGB podcast for updates and episode releases and get in touch with whether you agree, disagree, or if you think we've missed an important bit of information out about an album, let us know. We love to hear it. But next week on Alive with Just Blethering, Keith is going to be taking us back to 1998. Yeah, I can't even believe it myself, really. With Why the, the fuck am I going to talk about Offspring? Keith's going to talk about the offspring. It's going to be hilarious. I'm just going to watch him sweat. I'll speak to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.